Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we are coming to you from a, a, a pretty weird place right now. We are in our good friend, uh, our good friend Matt Frederick's hotel room in Orlando during podcast movement. And we are wondering, it's a question for you folks, what is one of the most embarrassing moments of your life, or what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Noel. Matt, I got to ask you: Did you take off the top sheet when you got here? Is that a thing you do? What are you talking about? You know, you, you got to like for the for the germs. You ever seen those videos where they hit it with a black light? You know, the hotel bed, the top sheets apparently where all the nasties live. On the comforter? On the comforter, yeah. No, dude, I li- I slept right on top of the comforter. I feel like I messed up. That oh, is disgusting. Matt, you're our super producer today, so we need a sound cue for you. Uh, folks, welcome super producer Matt Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Noel, where, where are you going with this top sheet? Is that, does that lead to an embarrassing story? No, just wondering, just making conversation with Matt. <laughs> Okay. Just want to know his hotel room <laughs> etiquette, you know? Yeah. We've had a we've had a, a crazy week here, folks. Uh we're we're going somewhere with this embarrassing moment question because no matter who you are, you could be the, the smoothest cucumber on the farm and you will still occasionally, at least in your adolescence or the, the puberty years, you will probably have moments that seem very, very embarrassing. So bad, in fact, that you think, oh my God, I wish I died right now. She's never going to date me or he thinks I'm a nerd or something like that. And that's part of growing up. But today's story is about uh, embarrassment 
about shame that was so profound it led to uh, it led to to suicide. That doesn't sound like very much fun at all, Ben. It was it was not fun for him. It's a fascinating story. This is this is the story of a cook, a chef named Francois Vatel, a gourmand. Yeah, just so. So we all know that the like Noel, you uh, worked briefly in the service industry, right? I think we both did. I did. Yeah, I, I worked in a tapas restaurant. It's actually where I got some of my earliest kind of cooking techniques down pat, like how to saute. You know, how you got to keep things moving in the pan, otherwise uh, things will get clumped up and burn. Right? Okay. Yep. Okay. T a p a s. I thought tapas. you said topless. No, no, definitely not. Um, but that's a joke. Many people in the tapas industry hear a lot. Is it true? Yeah. You know, I almost worked in a topless bar one time. Oh, yeah? Do tell. As a musician, I was going to play a, a gig with my buddy Chris. Uh-huh. It didn't work out. You would have been a freelancer for the night. You wouldn't have been a full-time employee of the Ooh, topless bar. Which probably means you could wear whatever you a want. A shirt? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, did you ever work in the in the service industry? I did. I, yeah. I was a uh, pool service boy at a private club. A PSB? Yeah, PSB. <laughs> So you served rich people pool food, bougie pool food. Yeah, almost all Pinot Grigio. That was pretty much it. And some scotch. Oh, and she crab soup. And she crab soup with some sherry. You got it. Oh, you know what else comes on she crab soup sometimes? Some kind of a form of a chantilly cream. That sounds delicious. And the chantilly cream, as it turns out, was invented by the chef in question, Francois Vatel. He was a very, very forward-thinking and fastidious cook. He worked his way up in the uh, bougie high society of a France. Um, he was an employee of the household of Nicolas Fouquet, who was the superintendent of finance in France for, like, the whole country. Yeah, yeah, he was in charge of the entirety of finance for the then 15-year-old monarch of France. Uh, Francois himself was not originally French. He was born Fritz Karl Vattel with a W in Switzerland, the son of Charles Vattel, who was a farm worker. Its name is still pretty common in Zurich. Uh, and we think he was born oh, like the mid to early 1600s, 1625, 1635, somewhere between there. And like Noel said, he worked his way up as a pastry cook. When he was finally done with his apprenticeship, that he shot straight to the top of the culinary world. He was working for uh, that finance minister. And the weird thing about it was that he was playing the role of a chef, but historians think he may not have actually known how to cook. Wait, what? what? Yeah, he was in charge of this office known as uh, the Bouche, or La Bouche. <laughs> and uh, he was responsible for everything from what the Minister of Finance ate during bedtime and what he, during bedtime, right, his night snacks and, uh, you know, these huge opulent banquets, right? So he was almost more of a glorified event planner. Yeah, 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 like a, an administrative role, yeah. He's, he's more producing, I guess, right, and organizing than actually 
cooking a lot of stuff. I guess that's the thing. A lot of the uh, the details of his early life are a little bit disputed, even his actual birthday. Um, and he is credited with with inventing uh, creme chantilly for one of these opulent soirees. But yeah, it's true. He is a little bit more known, especially in this story, as being kind of the guy who makes things happen, like the Winston Wolf of massive opulent uh, banquets and events. So very much like sort of a prototype to the modern day event planner. He had some kind of signature moves when it came to these big events. He loved things like stage illusions, uh, masks with a cue, like Eyes Wide Shut style, you know, um, a masquerade ball like in Phantom of the Opera or something like that. Loved fireworks. That's going to come into play in a little bit. And waterworks. I'm guessing he maybe even got into things like ice sculptures, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, he, we do know that he definitely made some made some waves. He actually angered the king, King Louis the Fourteenth himself. And again, Louis's like fifteen or so at this time, uh, and Louis felt jealous of the Minister of Finances displays. The guy was swagging too hard and was flexing on him, and he's like, "I'm the king," and he actually threw the Superintendent of Finances who I earlier called the minister, the superintendent of finances, into jail in 1661 just for the crime of being cooler. That's pretty brutal, guys. It's crazy to be king, right, Matt? And so while he is credited with the invention of uh, Chantilly cream, he is perhaps better known for a very, very tough series of events. At the start of April, beginning of April in 1671, the king announced that he would honor the Prince de Condé by visiting him from the 23rd to the 25th of April that year. The problem was, you would think that was really cool, right? It's like uh, the president of your country says, I'm going to go kick it, right? The thing is, because this guy is an absolute monarch and he has so much power, it's sort of a dangerous honor to have the king visit as a guest, because Louis insisted that all of the nobles of France and all of their entourage members travel with him so that he can keep an eye on them. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it's like so, a mega entourage. You yes, also, you yeah. know, absolutely uh, optics, but also you're right. Like keep your friends close and your enemies closer. These were folks that could potentially supplant him or, you know, God only knows, plot whatever kind of dirty dealings against him because it was that kind of time. So he wanted to keep them around so he could uh, make sure that they weren't up to no good. Exactly. This is also a huge strain on any household when Louis did Finally, he did really visit the prince. Uh, he brought along 5,000 people. It's crazy. It's actually why he built the Palace of Versailles in the first place, mm -hmm. so he could have all these nobles live under essentially one massive, opulent, shiny roof. I really had no idea that that was why that was there. And I, this is amazing, guys. Keep going. Versailles is crazy to visit if, you, if you've the chance. Here's the thing. Like, let's think about the timeline. So we said... We said the king makes this decision at the beginning of April, and he's going to go toward the end of April. This gives uh, Vatel maybe 15 days to prepare. Uh, he had barely slept for 12 nights. He knew that he had to feed the 600 nobles, the thousands of extra people that are coming, not for one day, not for one feast, but for three days and everything involved. And so in a very real sense, this was like coordinating an army in terms of number of people. 
and they didn't have things like Cisco, not that they would use it, right? The food supply company, they didn't have airplanes or, or rail cars. So you had to find enough food locally to feed 5,000 people. And people with Vettel's job, officers of the bush, were supposed to be on top of this. 300 years earlier, there's a guy who had written a book estimating about how much stuff you would need for an event of this magnitude. You know, it's funny. He actually had a title that, I'm, that I'm, I found in research, uh, which is very akin to a position that we know so well. The Matre de Hotel. De Hotel? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I wish Casey was here. He'd be super on the case with that pronunciation. But. I asked him a little bit about uh, about this stuff earlier, but uh, I didn't ask him about that one. But we have, you know, the position in a restaurant as the maitre d', who is like essentially sort of the waiter captain or kind of in charge of the wait staff or just the production of the event. So I can only guess that maitre d' is a shortened version of maitre d'hotel. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're right. You know what? I, I'm going to double down. I bet you are right. The person restaurant who oversees the wait staff, right? In this book, this guy gives folks like Vattel a really granular estimate of the brass tacks, the nuts and bolts, or more directly, the number of hams you need for such an event, uh, how much firewood you need, how many hunters you have to send out to, uh, to capture animals. Because the day was going to begin with a massive hunt, as we know, mm-hmm. nobles, uh, especially we, we did the episode about uh, uh, Napoleon and his domesticated rabbit hunt that uh, ended in a different kind of disaster, uh, a more cuddly yet terrifying disaster where he and his men were sworn by these domesticated rabbits. So often that would be the thing. You'd have to spend a day out with the boys, you know, going for a fox hunt or what have you. And then it would all end with a huge feast and then some sort of showy display like a fireworks or something like that. Right. And that's what was supposed to happen. Happen day one. You're gonna have this big, big hunt. Uh, we're gonna have a, a grand old time. We'll be best friends. The king will think that we're dope, and then we'll have a great fireworks display. But right before the the big dinner meal, someone comes to Vatel and they say, All right, look, there's an extra 75 guests. And so he falls into one of the worst situations an event planner can have, whether we're talking a wedding or a huge birthday or whatever they don't have enough food for everybody, right? Uh, There wasn't enough roast meat for two of the 60 tables. And this haunted Vettel, he was sure that this would be a huge huge dark mark on his record. And was like, you know, I'm an officier de la bouche. I don't make mistakes like that. And then the prince himself felt bad for the guy. And he was like, you know what? It's, It's not really your fault, which I thought was very cool of the prince. He said, and, and and the prince seems like he's got a nice vibe, at least at this moment. He's like, and hey, you know, by the way, buddy, the roast beef we do have is great. Like, good job, you know? So, you know, we've all been in those situations, right, where we think, did I really mess up at work? You know, we get worried about the consequences or something. Uh, and it's always very validating to have your boss say, you know, chill out. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. However, the next day was even worse. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Vettel starts the day probably already a little low from the previous day's mm -hmm. slight embarrassment. Again, didn't seem like it was that big a deal, but this this guy took this whole business very seriously. Le Grand Cuisine. It was the uh, kind of pinnacle of French opulence to be able to show off in a culinary display of this kind. This day was going to be no exception. Here's the thing, though. It was on a Friday though, when the banquet was going to be held. The actual banquet. Um, so they couldn't serve any, like, beef, like mammal meat, I guess. I don't know. Fish, apparently, doesn't count. So they would have had to order fish because they were not 
anywhere near the coast. The Atlantic mm-hmm. coast was something in the neighborhood of 240 kilometers uh, to the east. Um, and it would have taken about going on 12 days to get there um, in a in a horse-drawn carriage or a, an ox cart of some kind. Um, you could have gone to Paris because they had fresh fish coming in on the daily, mm-hmm. um, you know, on ice. And that would have only taken a couple of days by boat on the Seine. But they've literally got one day, right? It's that day. It's no, nice. it's that day. And this is, yeah. a, this is a massively clutch operation. And this makes me think of, like, the most nightmarish, like, Gordon Ramsay cooking competition scenario where, like, you know, the clock is ticking. You know, your pork chop is potentially underdone. You haven't even started plating yet. Gives me palpitations just thinking about it. I know they ran out of snapper at the Whole Foods. He exactly. Is, he is so much nicer in the British shows, by the way, Gordon Ramsay. You gotta watch out for uh you gotta watch out for TV producers, let's be honest. There's another point here. So it is possible they could have bought in uh oysters and mussels, kept them alive and damp straw, right? But moving a lot of fish is, as you guys pointed out, uh impossible on the same day. Historians today are not completely sure what type of fish they ordered for Vettel's last banquet, but they're thinking it would have been freshwater fish, pike, trout, uh, maybe crayfish, and they were brought in physical pools, kept fresh and alive if possible. Of course, the market is also volatile. You know what I mean? This is not, these are the days before a bunch of health codes, right? The way we understand them now. So, you kind of get what you get. Caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. And the Friday they're trying to get all these fish, try to move all this fish, uh, they have a hard time finding stuff that is good, and they have a hard time finding enough of anything. So let's not forget, he had already been sleep-deprived for like 12 days, just freaking out, you know, stressing out over this event. Um, But he was going to give it his all. Uh, But the fish are... Very late. They're not coming. He's waiting for this delivery. And then there is a delivery, but it is far too few fish to feed even a a very small percentage of the guests. Like I think a third or a fourth of the guests uh, could be fed by these. He continuously is like pacing around. He's asking for updates. Uh, Nothing. Hours go by. Nothing. Nothing. There is also no backup plan. Right. Yeah. They're working live. And I think it's by 4 a.m. They have what? Only two baskets of fish. That's I believe that's correct. So this is what happens. He's got a co-worker who's mocking him. He's like, you you dingleberry or whatever the popular insults of the day were. Doofus or whatever they said at the time. You know, are you Uh, making these up, Ben? I'm uh, uh, a historical reenactments of insults. Dingleberry is not my original work, but this this may have been one of the final straws. He's ashamed. His peers are mocking him. And at this point, we don't know for sure. It might have been one of his employees. And he feels terrible. It's almost dinner time. Again, we're talking 60 tables of people, the VIPs of the country. And so he says, you know, I'm going to take a second. And he goes to his room and he takes his sword. And it wasn't just any sword. It was actually a kind of a ceremonial sword that was given to him by uh, the French court. Right. Yeah. And he had the permission, like having the right to carry a sword was a mark of great esteem. So he wedges this sword 
which is almost a badge of honor at this point, in the door of his quarters. It's also a big deal that he had his own quarters. And he literally fell on his sword on purpose, jumped onto the point of the sword. That's the idea. Here's the crazy part, according to the story. The rest of the fish that he ordered did show up that night. Whoa. Two hours after. And the prince and the king both were mourning the loss of this guy that they saw as a culinary paragon. And for one reason or another, that fish that uh, shamed him so bad was never eaten. Maybe people felt it was inappropriate, right? Maybe they felt, uh, maybe they just felt their appetites were gone. But Matt, you noticed how we said, according to the story a couple times here? Yes, I've clocked this. <laughs> so now we're going to do maybe a, what do you think, Noel? You want to do like a reverse quizster here? Oh, why not? I would love that. All right. <laughs> Any quizster segment that doesn't involve the actual quizster, I fully support. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matt. What does what the quizster sound like? That's the one. Okay. Yeah. That makes it checks out. He's okay. like, gentlemen, it's time. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. No. Uh, no. You can, can you do your uh, Southern gentleman voice? Yeah. Voice? Speaking of voices, I have lost mine. Or Harry Carey. It's up to you. I most certainly can. Let's, let's do this. I like it. All right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Frederick. Uh, Just call me uh, Jethro. <laughs> All right, Jethro. Uh, so uh, if you're familiar with the uh, long-running uh, uh, long running antagonist of our show, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, you will know that he does what has been described by him as the most cringeworthy segment in podcasting. In this segment, he will typically uh, harass emotionally and verbally abuse Noel and I and Casey too occasionally uh, by telling us an anecdote a scenario there we go perfect and uh, this guy shows up at the weirdest times like we know his thing now Uh, and our job will be to ask him questions to figure out whether it's true being a, a a crew of guys who are not into verbally, emotionally abusing people, uh, instead of making you th- jump through all the quizster hoops, uh, we are going to ask you, do you think this story is true? Well, uh, currently... Which, wait, wait, which story? The whole story? The, the entire whole thing. thing. Yeah. Wait, wait. That's we, we wouldn't have presented it at all as an episode See, if it wasn't true. Here's my thing. <laughs> I trust you, gentlemen, and if, if this was just an out-and-out lie, I would not only be uh, hurt... Uh-huh. I'd also be a little bit pissed. Uh, Colonel, that's Colonel Jethro. That's that's quite. Uh, you telling me? Sense. You telling me? I sat here in this entire episode, and there's a possibility that this is some bullshit. <laughs> so here's the thing: we don't know a whole bunch about Vatel for sure, and the suicide story primarily comes from some really gossipy letters from the Marquise de Sivan to her daughter. She, this was a prolific letter writer, and most of the information in the story that we've all just heard was from her account. The thing was, she was not there to see the events. She heard about it secondhand, so it was a game of telephone. He said, she said, he said, she said kind of stuff. 
and tell me it was a messenger pigeon of some sort? Well, it was also mentioned in other places too, right? It's it's we primarily get it from this story, but other people at least, including the prince, said that it happened. So we think it could be true, but how much of it was embellished, you know what I mean? I need I need an account of someone who was in the room where it happened. Well, you're not going to get that, uh, Colonel. We don't have that. What we do have um, is uh, a twist, a sad, devastating twist, um, according to these gossipy letters, was that the remainder of the shipment of fish arrived mere hours after our hero uh, has run himself through on said ceremonial sword. Um, and there is actually a film about the life of Francois uh, Vettel, um, played in the film, which is directed by Roland Joffe, uh, by one of my favorite French actors, Gerard Depardieu. That's cool, actually. And in the film, it's much more a study on the awful behavior of aristocrats, and it kind of paints Vettel as being like this potential like nobody unless he had had these patrons and was sort of lifted up you know, out of obscurity by these uh, members of the royal court, and as opposed to uh, responding to a late fish delivery, he would kind of caves under the pressures um, and the treatment that he receives, you know, as being a part of this system. Um, I have not seen the film myself, but I, I, I very much look forward to checking it out. Heavy is the head that uh, wears the crown, right, of culinary responsibility, at least. So we we definitely know something happened. We just don't know all of the details. This is strange because even centuries later, it's a very understandable shame the ignominy right of of it all like imagine if you are the head of the dining industry at the white house right and you mess something up i don't know what that would be now exactly i don't know if that would be like you get the wrong hamburgers but whatever it is oh these days yeah 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 whatever it is this these could easily be situations where it feels like the one bad thing that goes wrong matters more than the 100 things you did well you know what i mean yeah but not to mention like nowadays you might be dealing with entourages of a hundred maybe oh true yeah. yeah back then i mean like like you know so this is los angeles times article uh the subject is a very beautifully dismissive vatel the fish suicide guy mm. by charles perry from february of uh, 2001 and it's talking about the film which is the year that came out um the, he likens uh vatel and his um depiction in the film by depardieu to a general because his organizational skills had to be so finely tuned um, to get all of these, all of this food. I mean, because again, it had to be local most of the time. So when you have 5,000 people, it's the equivalent of an army marching into town and you have to prepare, you have to strategize. And he was given not enough time to do it correctly. And uh, he paid for it with his life, according to the accounts that we do have. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. But we don't want this to end on an entirely low note, you know what I mean? Let's we we've teased a little bit about Chantilly cream, so maybe we can end on a sweet note. Oh, I said a dumb thing at the top of the show. By the way, they don't put Chantilly cream on chi crab soup. It is a dessert creme. But you can still go for it if you wanted. It's it's interesting. So let's talk a little bit about what it is. For some reason, uh, Matt, in your other incarnation, Colonel Jethro, uh, Chantilly cream sounds like something you would say on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoy my Chantilly sweet cream right next to my mint julep. Sitting on the porch, you know it's a day like today. You walk outside and that heat just hits you like a blanket right on your crotch. Then you proceed to pull down some... Wait, 
What are we talking about? We're talking about Chantilly cream, which is a freshly whipped cream <laughs> sweetened with sugar. It's got a vanilla flavor. And whipped cream was already around at the time, but sugar was expensive. So sweetening whipped cream with sugar and then vanilla, which was even more costly, that could be an episode all its own. Uh, that was another enormously profound flex, right? Also, you know what? Now that I think about it, it's weird how out of all the ice cream flavors, vanilla became the most common and uh, AKA boring. It's kind of a success story. Wow. That's really interesting, Ben. I'm, I'm, I'm going nowhere with that, uh, but it would be cool to see how vanilla became like the ubiquitous story. And when people are described or situations are described as vanilla, like back then, that would mean expensive and from far away. Only for the absolute creme de la creme of, uh, of, of high society. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, all the vanilla that reached Europe at this time came from South America. So there was, it was, it was pretty rare until the 1800s. So Vettel does have a legacy and it's also a legacy that he might not have been entirely on board with because the word Chantilly is often used for any like creation of fruit or vegetables that has some froth to it. No connection to cream or vanilla. And there are all kinds of arguments over who actually was the first person to say, hey, drop some vanilla in this. Chantilly cannot be taken away from the Chateau's name or their mutual history. So he did leave a legacy he just had to pay uh he had to pay the highest price yeah and a big part of that legacy is almost serving like he literally died for his art uh if, mm -hmm. if the stories are to be believed he was almost a martyr for the uh french tradition of hot cuisine um and is also credited uh as being one of the earliest adopters and inventors you know kind of a tastemaker of these massive opulent banquets we talked about some of his flourishes uh his creative touches that he was known for like the fireworks the waterworks sure. all of that but then i I think you found a couple of really cool examples. Yes. Uh, the thing about these events was that the, the art of the banquet goes far beyond what is actually on the plate. That's incredibly important. But there are also going to be uh, festivities. There are going to be plays, poetry recitations. There's going to be live music, you know what I mean? Which is also a sensitive topic because everything is political at this point. So choosing the songs that get played is also an art. Are you saying he invented dinner theater? <laughs> no, I don't. I, you know what? I'm not saying that yet, but okay. I am saying I hope that's true. Uh, it's strange because the way they found him, the way they found his body was when they came to tell him that everything would be okay and the fish arrived. So there's there's almost this O. Henry kind of moment. And in a way, he's also, I, I like your point, Noel, about him being a general. In a way, he's also a diplomat. He has to make all of these things and all of these departments, which sometimes are going to come into conflict with each other, function as one smooth, coherent whole. And chefs at the time also practiced things like disguising food for consumption so that it didn't seem like leftovers. So he had already thought through that. And he's somewhat noble, you know? He tried everything, and you can look to him as an inspirational figure if the story is completely true because he is a man 
who is so passionate about what he does that he would rather die than disappoint the king and dishonor the art. And there is where our story ends today. Just talking about this, I was looking up pictures of all these amazing, really complicated dishes. Uh, it's I'm, I'm starving. We should, You guys want to go get something to eat? Yes, please. I'm quite hungry. And if you're fascinated by this stuff like we are, um, I recommend a uh, show for you guys to check out. There's a really cool celebrity chef named Heston Blumenthal. He has a restaurant, I believe it's four Michelin stars, called The Fat Duck. I think he has several restaurants now for sure, but that was the one that I was familiar with. Um, known for kind of doing weird spins on things where he he makes like fruit out of meat and disguises it so it looks it's like this whole idea of this yeah. disconnect between flavor and texture and what you're expecting to get and that's and, an old tradition that's a very very old tradition it absolutely is and he has a series called heston's feasts uh where in each episode he uh does a different era so there's heston's victorian feast medieval tudor roman uh heston's christmas feast where he makes like this insane uh, there's one episode where he makes this insane like pigeon pie where birds actually fly out. Uh, and there's actually one in the Roman feast where the main course or the, the, the dessert is called the ejaculating cake. I'm in. Yeah. I, I would love to see you in a room where that pigeon pie is released. I would be terrified. Uh, but I really do recommend the show. It's a lot of fun. You can probably stream it on YouTube, I think. Um, but it'll give you a sense. He really tries to recreate uh, the feel um, and of these really opulent feasts that, that uh, Vitell would have been kind of one of the early adopters of. And if you are a fan of food history, uh, food science, travel, and more, uh, we highly recommend you check out our peer podcast, Savor, hosted by Annie Reese and Lauren Vogelbaum. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this strange dive into the rarefied air of haute cuisine. And I, I want to do a, uh, I want to do an episode just on all the crazy top-notch restaurants like El Bouillet, which is closed, or Noma. Uh, Matt Frederick, a.k.a. Colonel Chetro, <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out with us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I did not contribute anything, and I disregard uh, any compliment you would give me. So thanks for letting me be here. <laughs> That's Oh, and check out my show. It's called Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where can people learn more about you? <laughs> hey, it's, it's find us uh, at Conspiracy Stuff or at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Thank you also uh, to our super producer, Casey Pagram, here in spirit. Thank you to our friend of the show who uh, may be returning for a second soon while I'm off on some completely non-sketchy uh, uh, adventures and pursuits, Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme, and, and begrudging thanks to Jonathan Strickland um, for, you know, being a nemesis. You got to have a nemesis. It's important. Gives you something to strive for. And thanks to Cheryl Crow as well in that regard. This ends today's episode, but not our show. We kindly invite you to check us out on the social meds. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the hits, all the good ones. Uh, just go over to Facebook, check out our group page, Ridiculous Historians, where you can meet our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. Uh, you can also follow us individually on Instagram if you want to see what we get up to uh, when we are not hanging out here together. I am at Ben Bolin. I am at How Now Noel Brown. We'll see you next time, folks.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.